Hi, this is the Robberator, and you can support my mad grab for power and the Sword and Laser podcast by going to patreon.com slash sword and laser. everyone, welcome to The Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you. And today, we are very pleased to have friend of the show, may we call you, Andrew Main, author of Station Breaker? I, I think we're friends, guys. I hope we're at that point. I know we're friends, but what about the show? Are you? Friends oh yeah, with the show? of course I'm a friend of the show. Okay, pro- maybe I'm friends with the show than you guys, to be honest. You might be better friends with the show. <laughs> you possible. guys are wicked tight. Wicked yeah. tight. <laughs> That's right. We see you in the show on Instagram all the time, hanging out, going to bars, having a good time. It's kind of awkward, right. actually. Like I feel mm. a little left out. I'm like getting show. I'm getting some FOMO. Like show, show, I invented you. You could have invited me, show. Need to be proactive with the friendships, guys. I'm just yeah, telling you. No, I hear you. I hear you. It's true. Uh, well, Andrew Main, uh, of course, uh, host of Weird Things podcast, uh, the star of Don't Trust Andrew Main, the television show, and author of many books. So start there, Andrew. Let folks know like some of the things that you have already written before we get to your latest one, Station Breaker. So my first book that I ever wrote that was, hey, let me take a stab at this, was something called The Grendel's Shadow. And I did that because when I was doing the podcast Weird Things, I realized that my audience was weird like me, and maybe I should try writing fiction to that. And I think that's something you've done too, Tom, and then something you guys have done now with your collections and the stuff you publish with Sword and Lasers. You realize that when you're reaching people who have a lot of the same interests, there's probably an opportunity to communicate in a different way. So I wrote a novella, and that did really well. The reaction was really good, and that encouraged me to go write my first novel, which was Public Enemy Zero. And that exceeded beyond my wildest expectations and led to you know a series of movie options and told me, you know what, maybe keep writing while you do everything else. Wow, so did, some movie did, options. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> So, so did you uh, start by self-publishing? How did you how did you uh, go about that? Yeah, my plan was just to self-publish because I I was actually leaving South by Southwest, and I think I'd hung out with Justin and Brian Brushwood and you guys, and then was sort of sitting at the airport thinking about, you know, I, I like doing podcasting a little bit, but I wasn't really fully committed to doing it as much as everybody else did, and I was trying to think of where. Where did I want to go with my creativity? And I read an article in the New York Times about ebooks, and I said, you know, that's cool because I don't have to go through a gatekeeper or a publisher. I don't have to, you know, let New York decide if I get to have a career or not. I could just write bo- books to an audience that I already have, and that was my plan. And after Pupkin Mini Zero blew up, I started getting calls from publishers and agents asking to represent me, and I said, mm-hmm. okay. If I could be hybrid and still self-publish and work with a publisher, then that would be cool. A little while after, I self-released my book, Angel Killer, which ended up putting me... Uh, Amazon issued a press release. I had no idea. I got a call from another agent wanting to rep me because I was the number five best-selling independent author in the United Kingdom that year. And so I had a very good thing with indie, but I also realized that to reach a larger audience, to work with a publisher would be a good idea. So work with Harper Collins now so they do that series but I continue to indie publish too. That's nice. So you get to you have the ability to carve out 
your contract so that you're able to continue to do indie published stuff, even though you are working with a larger publisher for specific series. Uh, exactly. But I, and I make sure not to step on the toes of what they're doing. I give them a window when we're going to release, let's say the next Jessica Blackwood book to make sure that I don't, you know, I don't, you know, confuse some other book that I'm doing there. I try to just do thrillers and stuff. I try to work through there where sci-fi and other genres I do on my own. And just because I think I can market that pretty well. Uh, but so, yeah, it's just trying to figure out what's right for which avenue. Mm-hmm. And you've written a lot of books at this point. How many how many books have you have you written in total? And, and how many are the, of those are, are self-published? So uh, he's like, I don't know, a lot. No, I would. I mean, through through in actual through published i've only i have two that have been through harper collins and the third one will be coming out next year majority of the other ones have been self and yeah i just started doing things too like i have a book called how to write a novella in 24 hours which is just oh here's a quick thing i'll put out there and the reaction to that was phenomenal i had no idea it ended up being like the number one book on authorship for like four or five months on amazon so that told me like okay in a way if you indie publish and you have an aggressive campaign to promote your stuff and get out there you are a publisher you know you you really you're functioning like one and so you know it's that it's not like you just as an author put something out there and say hey whatever and then let me go do with a publisher i think a lot of people hear the stories like hugh howie with will Mm -hmm. and andy weir with the martian and think oh so all i do is i write an amazing book and people (laughs) buy it and i get movies made of it uh, and, and that's not really the way it works. What, what can you tell people who are wanting to follow this same path that a lot of folks are doing? Well, you know, and to, to answer Veronica's early question about how many books I've, I've written a lot of books. And, and the vast majority I've written, you know, probably may never see the light of day. I have in front of me a blackboard, one of the things you stick on the wall, that has everything I've written since August and there's six or seven novels in there. And some of those things I think are good enough and there's a market for them. I'll put out there. Some of those things I might sit on. I think that, yeah, there's not every book is going to be a success. Not every book is going to get a movie deal. The vast majority of them won't be a success. The vast majority won't get a deal. And, and most books that I probably optioned will never see, even if they get optioned to film or TV, will never get made into that too. And that's a reality you have to accept. I have, you know, Angel Killers with its second set of producers, it's with 20th Century Fox right now, and that's exciting, but you go, well, wh- how many books do they option a year? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you realize that, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to have happen, but your path as a writer, my path as a writer is to have an audience. I just want to have an audience. I just want to have people read it and like it, and if I can make some money doing that to help pay bills or support myself, then I'm lucky, then I'm very, very lucky. I also love the fact that your covers are unbelievably cool. How would you find artists to do the covers? Who are you working with? And I mean, comparatively speaking to other self-published stuff mm-hmm. out there, it's it's a very high level of quality. Well, thank you. And and the answer to the, that, with the exception of the Harper, the two Harper books from Harper Collins, I did all those. And what? That came from my background prior to doing these was I used to write and put out magic books and DVDs. And so I had a background in creating content for magicians. And I was I was frustrated trying to talk to graphic designers. I was just that it was just a and I always I try to work fast and get things done very, very quickly. So it was just slowly try to learn the skills and know what I can and cannot do. And so I, I put a lot of thought into that, but I do all my covers myself, except for Harper Collins and the cover designer there. He's he's the guy that did uh, 
the last uh, Harper Lee book. <laughs> so, you nice. know, very lucky. But thank you. Yeah, I just, I think that, you know, the problem is, is as artists, we tend to have opinions on everything. And sometimes it's important to know when not to. But I try to be very uh, objective about that. And I actually, in my book, not to push this here, but how to write a novella, I go through and explain what makes for iconic covers. Go look at books you know, Godfather, Jaws, you know, you look at, you know, Twilight, look at these books and see how they've evolved covers over time, see what makes for iconic, what makes a great poster and understand the language of these things. And then I, I have this conversation with publishers, I explain that part of the problem publishers, the traditional market has, they're still thinking bookshelves. I'm thinking little icons when people go to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com and they look at something the size of a postage stamp. Mm -hmm. And I try to make my covers read that small. That's smart. Now, obviously, not everybody can uh, work in magic and produce DVDs and host podcasts and build audiences. But do you have any general tips about how to get your book in front of people? Because that that is the real trick. I mean, one mm -hmm. trick is, of course, writing something that people want to read. But the other th thing is finding those people. Well, he's writing. He's writing his next book is is how to get your book out there in front of people in twenty four hours. <laughs> yes. Well, that, yeah. I have. I just did the cure for writer's block, so I think the next one will be that. You know, the I I don't know. It depends on what your goal is. If your goal is to get read, you got to find readers. And I think the people who have had the best success with that have been the ones that have really worked hard to go out there. I go to, you know, when I go to cons and I see writers who sit at tables there talking to people and it's understanding how to create an audience that, that can then share it with other people. And I, the problem I see a lot of people out there is they put a book out there and if they don't promote it, nothing happens. And to give you an example of that, like I have my How to Write a Novella is a book that I promoted. I gave away as many copies as I could. I pushed on that as much as I could. And then when I did Cure for Writer's Block, I'm in the middle of promoting a humble bundle I'm doing with Kevin J. Anderson's Wordfire Press and having just done Station Breaker. I didn't press push that. So it's got like four reviews on Amazon. And that's a great test of when you let something sit there and do nothing versus getting out there and telling people, hey, who wants to read this? Read this. Who wants to talk about it? Talk about it. So when, when you're doing that kind of promotion, that kind of self-promotion, I think a lot of people, especially new writers, struggle with that feeling of not wanting to be annoying, not wanting mm -hmm. to keep hitting the same people over and over again for promotion. How do you kind of balance that and, and what new tricks do you try? And that, that is a very hard thing that I think that uh, I would say the three of us, I think we all have that quality of that we, we like our audiences and we don't want to bore them and annoy them. And, and you know, trying not to self-promote too much is, is and I'm, I probably get, I probably become more aggressive in that. But part of it is that you can share them the story of what's going on. And so it's not just, hey, everybody, buy my book, buy my book. I have an email list. On that email list, I give my books away. Like almost all my recent books, if you're on there, you got it for free. So I wasn't trying to treat people like a customer. I was trying to treat them like, you know, friends or people who are invested in the success of these works. And that's helped a lot because instead of, you know, every week it's me, hey, give me money. It's like, hey, read this. If you like this, share this with people. Here's something special for you. And, and I'm very sincere about that. I would rather have you know, thousands of people on that list who are happy to get my new book and talk about it than people I'm trying to sell stuff to. And so sincerity starts there, but it's it's the story of what happens. And as things from when the book is ready to be released and asking people to talk about it, when you have covers to show people, if there's some different thing to talk about the book, then you're creating a conversation and you're either following along the success of something. I think that's a way to approach it is to say, okay, here's where we are now. Here's where we're going on with it. Um, and that makes it different than today. I'm going to ask them to buy it tomorrow. I'm going to ask them to buy it. And, 
And I tell you what, I, I'm, I've been very excited and gratified by how many people have been invested in the success of these things, and that, that's that been great. And would you have a win? Like, um, humble brag, I just got nominated. I'm a finalist for the Thriller Award for the National Thriller Writers. Oh, congratulations. For, for, that's awesome. So that's my book, Name of the Devil. So, And that's that's for Thriller Writers. That's like one of the best things you could possibly be nominated for. So all of the fans of that book... Now, when they hear that, hey, guess what? This book that you like and you've talked to people about got nominated for this, you're validated. You're right to like it. You're right to tell other people. And it's silly that an award does that, but that becomes part of the story. So let's talk a little bit about your writing. Tell us uh, what is the book that got nominated for the award about? So this was Name of the Devil, and it was the second book in my Jessica Blackwood series. She's an FBI agent from a family of magicians, stage magicians, and I'm from a family of police officers. My dad was ATF, my brother's in the FBI, and I chose magic as a career, and I thought it would be fun to take an inverse of that. I didn't want to write, at that point, another stereotypical male magician character. I wanted to try something different because there's, you know, magic is woefully underrepresented when it comes to women, and trying to create a character that was an interesting, compelling person in that world seemed far more interesting to me. So... She gets brought in to cases that look supernatural, but they're not. But because she's got an experience in how stage magic works and she's a critical thinker, she grasps science. She's not a scientist, but she gets scientific method. She's able to look at these from a different point of view. And so the first book was Angel Killer, which was uh, that was the book that, you know, was like by far wide, like my biggest seller ever that put me on the, you know, an Am- the Amazon, you know, best selling indie authors list. That was the one that, you know, second one to get a, First, I think it was a movie deal, then a TV deal. And it's just been a fun book series to write. So I did the sequel to Name of the Devil. And it was terrifying when you're writing a sequel to something that was such a big success. And I was writing that sequel leading up to pre-production for my TV show, Don't Trust Andy Remain, and trying to balance, you know, writing that on weekends, you know, living in, you know, a rented room in LA while getting ready to go do the scary TV show project was daunting and I I was so unsure of that book. This is a this is a funny story. I was so unsure of that book when I finished it. I sat down and over another two weeks I wrote an entirely different version of it. Wow. Which I gave to my agent. She says, no, I like the first one. And we threw out that other version. <laughs> I was unsure of it. And now it's, you know, a finalist, you know, for award that, you know, Stephen King was nominated for, Lee Child was nominated for, Harlan Coben. And that's, you know, to give you an example of author and decision, same thing happened with Public Enemy Zero. I gave the first copy of that to my buddy, Justin Robert Young, who we all know. And I'm like, I'm like, if this isn't any good, let me know. And, you know, I won't, you know, I'll throw it out and start over. And I was ready to do that, which makes it maybe I'm a little bit too unattached. And that was a book that then you know, the Transformer producers had optioned that. I, you know, talked to Blumhouse about that project. You know, that was there for a while. I mean, it's just, you don't know what you have. So are I you just, ever going to put the other version out as like yeah. a, like a like a, a, a bonus track or something? It's it's you know, I don't know if that would help the narrative. You know, I think that it's it's a it's a different telling and things happen differently and it would be a and it would also, you know, people get upset when you mess with canon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I you know, there's DNA in there that I used for other things and things that I liked and characters. I said, oh, I like this, I like that, I'll use that elsewhere. But I think that if you can iterate quickly and you can write, you know, as fast as you can come up with things, it's healthy because then you're you're not afraid to say, oh, let me start over. You know, I have the third book in that series that's gone through multiple revisions. 
And I'm rewriting this as I go through my editor's notes. And that was a thing I never thought I'd be capable of. But, you know, when you see the results and the quality, then you feel better about it. You should just go through, change a lot of the important names, <laughs> make some stuff up around, got yourself a new book. Veronica, I have so many other books that I'm trying to figure out how to release or get out there. Or, you know, give it to someone else and you let them publish it. Put it out it under a just, pseudonym, like yeah. Veronica Belmont. Right. <laughs> right. I don't. I think Veronica could do a much better job. Ha, ha. Oh, I sound like a goose just then. <laughs> so what are some of your tips for, for writing a novella in 24 hours? What, what kind of advice do you give for, for people who are just starting out? I think that... It's the the problem we have, and, and, and when I did a, a book on writer's block was trying to address why do we sit there at a screen staring at a blank screen and what happens and trying to analyze my own development of as a writer. And I realized that the difference between a pro who tells you writer's block doesn't exist, which is not helpful, and somebody who's starting off is you don't have the toolbox. You don't understand where thing you don't understand which direction to go will give you the best results. So I know that for me, when I want to sit down and write something quickly, I need to have a beginning. I need to have some rough idea of the middle, and I need to have an idea of where it can end. Not where it has to end, but where it can end, and a strong character. And once you have those things, you can write very quickly. You can write as quickly as you can imagine because you're not stopping to go, well, what happens next? If you always, if you have a map and know where you want to go, you might find some detours along the way, which is great. Follow those. So I start off with that character, that overall, that that kind of simple sort of plot so at any given point I can say well this is supposed to happen next and you know that's how the kind of the formula for trying to turn things you know answer the questions you need to know in advance and one of the things I do is I'm always using my phone to make little on my notepad little character notes I take photographs so I'm in restaurants or interesting places so if I have to set a scene somewhere I have a visual reference right there I can go oh that's cool I didn't know the color of the linoleum there and what might happen if they try to pick something off the floor that's a stupid example. But the point is, answer all the little questions and then focus on the fun of writing. All right, let's talk about Station Breaker. Uh, first of all, this is not one that you went through a traditional publisher for. Mm -hmm. You put it out as an ebook. There is a paperback version of it now. Did, did it have that at the beginning, though? I took It took me a couple weeks to get the paperback version okay. out there using CreateSpace. So what made you decide to put this one out It's and, and then as a, a, on your own, but then also tell us a little bit about what it's about. So I, I love my publisher. I love working with Harper Collins. I have a wonderful editor there, Hannah Wood. Uh, they're fantastic. And the, you know, I've been very, very lucky in when my participation with the traditional publishing industry, but the book that is going to come out next year, I wrote, you know, last summer, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so you're talking from the moment you say done and turn it in. And I understandably there's editing and things like that that go through, but that's a few weeks. You know, it could take a year, year and a half for a book to see the light of day. And I'm an immediate gratification person. And so I look at like, okay, do I want to, you know, how, what do I want to do with this window of time in which I'm creating content? And that's why I said, you know, let me, let me create a series that I like to write that'll be fun to write and just put that out there on my own. Meanwhile, because I have, you know, another a publisher book, I'm not worried about trying to push out there to the publishing world, too, and, and kind of do that hybrid model. So that was the reason why. It was just impatience. It's just that I wanted to get this thing out there sooner than later. And also because, uh, you know, I know that at a book like that, uh, I get a higher percentage of, you know, my ebooks if I sell it on my own. And you can always flip a book later on if it's a huge success to a publisher. Hmm. So... 
that was that. So Station Breaker, the, the genesis came from there, was watching what was going on with SpaceX, Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin, all these exciting things happening in the space uh, technology and saying, man, you know, instead of doing a science fiction book set 50 years, 100 years from now, let me set something that's within the next decade. And, you know, what is the world going to be like when we're sending up reusable rockets every day? What's it going to be like when we're putting up more satellites up there? And I thought it would be neat to do a spy thriller set in this very, very near term, which is becoming rapidly much more closer than you know, we would have thought. Even even when I started writing this several months ago, SpaceX hadn't successfully landed on the ground, mm-hmm. and then now they've done that. They just did their barge landing Friday, and then we had uh, you know today Yuri Milner, uh, who is a uh, amazing Russian philanthropist who's you know funding a search for his extraterrestrial intelligence announced that he's doing a phased array laser system for propelling a light sail to Alpha Centauri in 20 years time you know these things are happening faster and faster I said let me tell a story that's very cutting edge now but will feel very contemporary I, I one of the things I like about station breaker is it is fiction with science uh, mm-hmm. and and that I, I say it that way because there there is a genre of books, and Cory Doctorow does this sometimes as well, where it's not the science isn't fictional. We're not mm-hmm. I mean, we're not talking about plausible science. Like everything in your book, either exists or is very close to existing uh, in in a lab, right? Yeah, that was the the rule for me was everything here had to be either on the launch pad or on the workbench. It had to be a te- form of technology that was you could see some form of it right now. So it's 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 a and for our audience to understand, it's it's basically born identity meets gravity. I mean, that's the way I describe it. So it's a, it's an action thriller and it's uh, the science would be like what you would see in the movie Gravity, that kind of thing where it's things we have now it's not even far out like the martian like if we were to go to mars it would be like this it's things that are like if you take what elon musk and what richard branson and what jeff bezos are trying to do in the next 10 years and say what will things be like there so that's all of the scale that it's at now i know it's a novella and that's part of the answer to the question i'm about to ask but one of the things i loved about this is how fast moving it is uh and and page turner is sometimes used as as a euphemism uh in good or bad ways but in this way i mean it very good like david dixon you like instantly and then he's on a rocket and there's the MacGuffin, and you're off to the races and you don't know from one page to the next what's going to happen to him i i'm very flattered that you'd say that because do you actually know how long that book is uh, no, I don't, actually. It's a full-length novel. It is a... Let me give you the, the word count on that. Um, it is... It's an 87,000-word novel, Tom. Really? It's 87,000 words? Yep. Well, wow. I, I read another review that said novella, and I was like, well, yeah, obviously, because I ripped through it, and I, I read really <laughs> slow. That's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah, that's actually larger than... That's probably the same size. Yeah, Let's yeah. say my book, Angel Killer, whatever. Yeah, like an average average first-time thriller novel is 80,000 words. I was so, thinking 50,000. Yeah, thank there. you. No, I mean that, and, I, and I'm glad to hear that because that's what I want is you if you're... And I talk about this and when I talk about writing is if you're aware of that you're passing time or you're trying to fill pages, that's frustrating. And, and if you're as a writer, you're bored, your audience is going to be bored. Well, yeah. I was definitely not bored. No, yeah. clearly not. Awesome. So give us, tell us a little bit more about what it's about. So the station breaker, it's based upon, um, you know, very near term. And there's, I have a, I have a, uh, a space company called iCosmos, which is doing these routine missions of supply missions to International Space Station and other space stations and ferrying astronauts there. And Dave Dixon gets his first chance. He's to be a astronaut pilot on a mission to do a supply. He's a guy that was 
way he got into the program was actually by being a basically a guinea pig and letting them use him for all the kind of well, should, you know, how are we going to have astronauts, you know, test this equipment, whatever. And so he was kind of a a cra- human crash dummy that finally got his chance to go up on his mission in the space. And he's a pilot. He's an experienced pilot that's always loved to fly. And he was rejected from NASA or rejected, couldn't get into, couldn't get, excuse me, into, you know, with Air Force or Navy when he was a kid because of bad eyesight, which, and then, but once through LASIK and all that became a pilot. And now here's his first chance into space and he's on his way up with this commander and a NASA pilot. And something goes wrong and they have to do an emergency docking procedure with a Russian space station and things get really weird. For instance, you notice this commanding officer has a gun on him. And while he's waiting there, he hears shots fired and finds out that there is now been a shootout on board the space station and he has to run back into the space capsule and he does an emergency ejection because the other astronaut makes him do that and realizes he's in the middle of an international incident and crash lands on Earth and he becomes a wanted man trying to find out what happened and what's his place in it. Oh, wow. So it really does kind of take you from from Earth out into space and back to Earth again. Yeah, and then back to space. And, and so, it, space. yeah, it becomes... It's. I wanted to create... I wanted to create the most wild chase movie I could. So it literally starts in space. He crash lands in, in Brazil, Rio, middle of Rio de Janeiro in the, you know, in the slums and is on mad, you know, being pursued by hitmen and everything else you could imagine being thrown at him, trying to unravel what's going on. And he has to steal motorcycles, ambulances, jet airplanes, maybe eventually a spacecraft or whatever, and try to make it all plausible so you understand what's going on. I just said I want to just make a just an insane chase thing that started in space and in space. And then the second one is more of a mystery thriller set on a space station. So who do so. you see as your as your main leading man? Okay, the, the problem is when you get into the who would you see in that role game as an author, by the time things eventually happen, uh, whoever you think is probably too old. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was, remember when Anne Rice, you know, she was like set on like Daniel Day-Lewis or something for Interview the Vampire, which he probably could have played it. And she was so upset that they cast Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise in it. She publicly... Uh, you know, spoke out about that. And then when she saw the movie, she's like, everybody go see this movie. They're wonderful. Um, I would I would say that this could either be a film or it could be a TV series, just the way that the it, it, it breaks out and sort of it becomes this kind of NCIS in space sort of thing. It's, it's part of my space op series. But, you know, as a, as a character is... Uh, I don't know. I, 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 Matt Damon. We'll make that Matt, Matt Damon for everything, right? Put in at somebody who goes inside of a Matt Damon you know, for president for all yeah. the movies. He goes into. He is our. You know, he should be an astronaut. The Do you want to know who been. I had in my head when I was? Oh yeah. Uh, I'm looking up his name now because I, I can't remember. Colin Ferguson. Yeah, Colin. Oh. You know, Colin Ferguson's great, but in, in but Colin Ferguson, if you notice from like uh, Imaginary Beasts and Where to Find Them, he's now playing the older guy roles. Right, I know. No, it goes with what you're saying, but it's that type of character who's competent but a little humble uh, and and a good sense of humor. That's David Dixon to me. Yeah, I think that there's there you know Anthony Mackie would be a great choice. Yeah, yeah. you know there's there's you know somebody who's got that you know a likable you know and a good sense of humor. I mean he's he's a guy that. You know, I love him as, as Falcon, you know, and, and, you know, you take somebody like that, like I could, there's a lot of direction and, and, you know, for a film version, it could be a woman, you know, I'm, I'm, I try to write a lot of female characters. I wrote this as a dude because I wrote the, you know, they had Jessica Blackwood. And so 
I'm very open to the idea of what would be interesting. Now, Greg uh, on our Goodreads forum has a question for you because he mm -hmm. loved the integration of modern technology in the story. Uh, but he says the end came too soon for me. Oh, this is the one. He says it was a novella. That's where I got that from. Okay. Uh, Greg says, when can we expect more stories in the Station Breaker universe? So the second one is written. And it's just a matter of finding the time to go do a polish on that pass and getting it out there. And the third one's already probably 20% done. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's it's just finding time. It, it's, it's an exciting, it's, they're fun to write there because it's, I love space. I love that technology. And, and it'll write a book where you get to throw in there, you know, trivia about uh, why you don't really want to have to go back to Earth in a Soyuz capsule or, you know, what happened to the astronauts, you know you know, the, one of the first people to test him and, you know, getting pancaked and all that kind of interesting stuff. You know, I think I get in the second one, I talk about the Skylab mission where they actually tried to mutiny. <laughs> you know, <laughs> those guys never flew again. Shocking. Uh, yeah, yeah. So well, it's just a fun way to play all that. In. Is, is, and if this is too personal, you don't have to answer, but is, is being an author your, your main job or is being a magician your main job? Uh, I don't have... A, when I have to sit down and figure out my tax return, <laughs> you know, it can be, it's a variety of things. And, and I, I think that I, I've been very, very fortunate in what I've been able to, you know, uh, earn from being an author. And I, I am, you know, in between, you know, what you do from, you know, your Amazon sales, book deals, options, and that sort of stuff. You know, it's not a business plan I'd recommend anybody try to do. And when it comes to magic, when I have time for that, I do that. You know, I will do, you know, corporate events and stuff, you know, if if it's going to be fun to do. So I do that and I produce, you know, I have, I still produce TV. I have a uh, another pro fashion show project. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, really? You know? Yeah, so, you know, I do so many different things. I don't, it's hard for me to figure out, like, you know, how, you know, how I'm able to do what I do. Uh, I know that feeling. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing when people go like, well, what do you do? And it's like, well, anything I can. Wait, <laughs> you, anything it's like, do you mean like today or like, <laughs> yeah. And, and also like things like this too. It's like, and you, you also go, you have to, as I've been supporting myself as a creator, you know, my entire adult life. And, you know, you learn how to say, okay, I'll have, like I knew that when I watched one of my books blow up and do really, really well, I'm like, yeah, but this isn't going to be normal. This isn't going to be the normal thing. And don't make the mistakes that other people do. And, you know, I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a house in Florida and an apartment here and trying to, trying to maintain that lifestyle and do what I want to do, you know, is, is, is finding that right amount of discipline. And that means that, you know, when you have, you, when you get your, your, Great, your your nice big check for something or whatever. It's saying yes, but you need to think of how this what this means for you three years from now because there may be nothing between now and then. It's hard. Yep. It's hard Absolutely. for sure. Yeah. Well, Andrew, where can everyone follow all of your work online? So I would suggest to all the sword and laser listeners out there, if you go to my website andrewmain.com, m a y n e dot com. You can sign up for my email list, and as I mentioned before, I love to give away free ebooks on there, and not like, hey, here's a contest. Like, I will send a link. Like, everybody, here's my new book that'll be on Amazon for four bucks as a you know, as a digital book in a week, but you can get this now for free. Sign up, you'll get that stuff, and sometimes I will annoy you by when I'm trying to push something, but that's a great way to do that. I'm active on Facebook. If you go to Facebook.com/slash Andrew Maine, I've been doing a lot of live chats with people hopping in there, talking to people about writing, trying to answer questions, 
It's a journey for me. I'm not sitting in some chair with a smoking jacket, petting a white cat, telling you I figured it all out. I'm still trying to figure this stuff out. And I've been very, very lucky to have things, you know, some opportunities happen to me, but I don't assume for a moment that, you know, let me tell everybody how it's done. It's a guy who's trying to find the same answers we are. Well, maybe uh, when we put this episode up, you can hop in the the podcast uh, forum page and, and answer some questions if any of our Goodreads listeners have have questions yeah. about the writing process. Yeah, I, I'll I love to. I'll, I'll happy to. But I tell you what, my favorite thing is just face video. Like I have a short attention span and I'm forgetful. <laughs> He's like do the face video. I really thought yeah. Veronica was going to ask you to put on a smoking jacket and get to get a cat and take a picture of us. Picture. Yes. That would be good too. That would work. That would the also pipe. work. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us. Uh, Tom, I'm about to do the closing of the show. Are you are you prepared to to, to read your portion? Yes. Oh, can I, can I do? I'm sorry. Can I interrupt you with one more plug? Yeah. yeah sure. Um, right now, I am part of a humble bundle with oh, Wordfire right. Press, and we're raising money for the the Challenger uh, the Challenger Center. There was one for raising money for the uh, Science Fiction Fantasy Writers Emergency Fund which is what they do when authors are in trouble and to help them out with, with uh, medical costs. And then the Challenger Center for Space Science Education. Those are the charities we're supporting. Of course, you can adjust that little bar to how much you want to contribute to that. But it's a great collection of books. We've got four previously unpublished Frank Herbert novellas, novels. Uh, we've got uh, my two books, The Chronological Man and The Martian Emperor, which are two of like probably my most popular works outside of the ones that sold really well, those are the ones that people fall in love with. We've got uh, a couple different Kevin J. Anderson books. We've got Alan Dean Foster. We've got an Orson Scott Card Ender's Game story, an Ender's story in one of the collections there. So it's 18 books, but actually 22 books. A Name your price on Humble Bundle at HumbleBundle.com. So it's on for another seven days. That's phenomenal. That sounds like a really great deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and if you're listening to this after the seven days, is there is there anything they can do? Just just buy all my books. Just buy all the books. Just give some money to those charities. <laughs> no, no, just buy my books, Tom. And also that buy charity. Andrew's books. Yes. yes. And if charities. you have any, if buy you have Andrew's any... books and give them to the charities. There you go. Yeah. That that would be weird. <laughs> They'll be great. That would work. Yeah. <laughs> They'll be grateful. Yeah. <laughs> like, what do we do with all these books? Thanks. Great. Thanks. Uh, and if you have any money left over after that, um, our show is is funded by our patrons at Patreon.com/SwordAndLaser. And of course, always a huge thank you to everyone who backs our show that way. Every little bit definitely makes a big difference for us. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. Find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at SwordAndLaser.com/Picks. Can I can I just do a shout out for you guys? I I love the fact that you've been doing the anthology and that you've done your contest. We've had JF Dubois and weird things. And we'll have them back. And I think that what you guys are doing, it's wonderful. And I think that all of your listeners, like seriously, if you listen and you haven't participated in their Patreon, seriously consider it because it's not just a show. It's a community of readers and writers, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that you're gonna find. The next Andy Weir, the next Michael Crichton, the next Anne McCaffrey, who knows, could come from here because of this community and what Tom and Veronica are doing. So it's not just you're not paying for a show. You're supporting a network that's helping new authors, aspiring authors and people who want to tell stories. And that is wonderful. I'm going to use that as a Patreon stinger in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Andrew. That's very kind of you to say. We really appreciate it. All right, everybody. Well, if you want to email email us, uh, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye.
This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.